So as we get to the end of the year, the church readings always start to talk about the end of the world. And this can sound a little bit scary, this idea of Christ tearing the clouds apart, coming in glory and dividing everyone, those who go to hell, those who go to heaven. Don't know whether that fills many people with joy. (laughs) Because there's always this sense that it's almost like Jesus is going to come back and say, see, I told you you didn't do enough. Um, And now the judgment begins. And there's kind of always this anxiety, I think particularly in Catholics, there's always this anxiety that we're never going to be quite good enough before God on that day of judgment. Um, But I think it's important to kind of put it in context. If I could try and weave this together and make sense of this for you. The last few weeks we've been hearing from the letter to the Hebrews, which is talking all about Christ's priesthood and how Christ is offering this sacrifice to God And here now we've got the talk of the second coming. I think the the thing that makes sense of this is actually one of the Jewish feasts, which is the Day of Atonement. So, So what you find in the Gospels is that Jesus is constantly trying to present the different Jewish feasts and then show that he is now the fulfillment of that. You know, so with the crucifixion, the death and resurrection, we always understand like it's based around the Passover. So at Easter we celebrate Passover and Jesus saying, look, I'm actually the fulfillment of this feast. Like this whole feast was actually pointing to me bringing the salvation to the world. The Day of Atonement was all about the forgiveness of sins. And there was was two key parts of this. Was that they would get a goat. So you know the whole idea of a scapegoat? Comes from this feast. So the idea is you get a goat, and the priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat and speak all the sins of the people onto the goat, almost like transferring it. And then they would send the goat off into the wilderness and get one of the Gentiles to push it off a cliff and kill it. So the idea is that if the goat's carrying your sin and the goat dies, your sin is dead. But one of the things they did was they would get a, a scarlet thread, like, that, like a red piece of thread, tie it to the horn of the goat... And they'll get another one and tie it to the door of the temple. And the tradition, which is spoken through a lot of the Jewish history, is that at the point when the goat died, the thread in the temple would turn white. And this was like a miracle that occurred every year. And it was basically saying, like, all your sins, they're now dead. And it's very much like what it says in the prophet Isaiah, like, oh, your sins are like scarlet, I'm going to make them like white as snow. The interesting thing is, the the Jewish historian Josephus talks about how that miracle stopped occurring 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. So the destruction of Jerusalem was in 70 AD. 40 years before was pretty much when Jesus was crucified. And so, in a sense, what God was saying was, I've now done the one sacrifice that covers all sins, You don't have to repeat this every year anymore. And and this is what we're hearing here in the the letter to the Hebrews. It was saying like every year the priest had to offer this sacrifice, but now because of what Jesus has done, it's done. Like, Like we don't have to do it anymore. All your sins are forgiven. So you can have absolute confidence 
because of what Christ has done in that sacrifice. Now, the other thing was, as part of that ritual, that the high priest would slaughter all these animals, bulls and goats and stuff, and enter into the centre of the temple, the Holy of Holies, carrying all of this blood of the sacrifice as an offering to God for the people's sins. And so he would enter in wearing this seamless garment, which was like the garment of the priest. And he would offer that blood, and it would be quite bloody because he'd be throwing it everywhere around this part of the temple. And everyone else would be waiting around the outside, expecting, like waiting for him to come back. And then, because they never quite knew how long this would take. But at a certain point, the priest would then change out of his seamless garment and change into the, the clothing of the bridegroom. And they reckon it would be like the most glorious golden outfit ever. And at a certain point, he would re-emerge as the bridegroom and everyone would just burst into celebration and people would be singing and dancing. And it was really symbolic well, of, of the fact that God is going to come back to enter into this sort of marriage relationship with his people. Now, this is where all these readings get tied together because that becomes for us the image of the second coming. You know, it says when, when Jesus was crucified, he was wearing a seamless garment. In John's Gospel, he's very specific about that because he's trying to say this is the high priest not carrying the blood of bulls and goats but carrying his own blood as it says in Hebrews, into the true temple, which is heaven. You know, not just the temple made by human hands, but he's actually entering into the heavenly temple, offering this sacrifice for our sin. And we're now waiting outside that temple, in a sense. We're waiting for God to come again from heaven. But he's going to come again as the bridegroom. He's going to come as the one who is pouring out love upon his people. He's done everything to heal us, to cleanse us. And he's going to come now to draw us into that relationship. So I think this is why the second coming should not be something terrifying. It should be something that we're, we're genuinely waiting for. I mean, we're genuinely preparing ourselves for. Because this is the end of the story where Christ actually draws us into that eternal relationship of real intimate love. What we have here in the Mass is the preparation. You know, this is, this is the beginning of that wedding banquet. So as we come into this Mass, let's really allow God to capture our hearts again, you know, that we can kind of see beyond just the, the external ritual and actually let our hearts be moved deeply by his love for us.